I have millennials who tell me all the time, oh yeah, fossil fuels are gonna go away in five years. And I'm just like, no, they're not. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, they're not. They're gonna be here your whole lifetime, just in different form. And, and so that's, when you have a messaging problem, like I've been through all kinds of political campaigns and stuff, that's called a messaging campaign. So you've, you've had a group of people who've been running a political campaign in DC, other places, disinformation, climate change isn't real, all this stuff. And if the if the messenger has no credibility, which let's be honest, their credibility is pretty wounded because they haven't been honest on climate change. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome to the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode 73 going down right now, and we're very excited about today's episode, as we are about each and every episode, as we welcome to the program co-founder and CEO of Project Canary, Mr. Chris Romer, no stranger to the energy industry. He's got a decorated career and has done tremendous work on both sides of the aisle, and of course, he's been on both the private and public sector as well. So just a very interesting and very informative and quite candid interview and sit down with Mr. Romer that you do not want to miss and you will learn plenty of it and of course the work they're doing over at Project Canary unlike anything that's going on in the world that started right here in the good old United States of America over in his home state of Colorado but before we get down to Mr. Romer let's take a minute and listen to our COO and co-founder Miss Ann Niemer telling you what it is we do here at eRenewable. Hi Ann Niemer here co-founder and COO of eRenewable. At eRenewable we know everyone has sustainability needs and wants. We want to help you reach your ESG goal. Our goal is to bring technology to the sustainability space by hosting real-time online auctions for both buyers and sellers. Our electronic management tool helps streamline the RFP process. Whether you need to procure energy or find an off-taker for a renewable project, our platform will provide pricing efficiencies to your organization. Our other projects include solar or battery storage development, renewable natural gas or responsibly sourced gas, LED lighting, and HVAC efficiency upgrades, or unbundled RECs or RSG certificates, all helping our customers reach their sustainability goals and meeting their ESG needs. Please visit our website at eRenew.net or call us at 1-866-ERENEW1. As always, thank you for listening to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Thank you so much for that, Miss Ann Niemer. And of course, you can learn more about the company over at eRenew.net. Give us a follow over on our LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast for the latest and greatest of what's going on with the company, as well as catch up on all the episodes from The Green Insider. You will be glad that you did. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Mr. Chris Romer, CEO and co-founder over at Project Canary, talking a little bit about what they're doing to help reduce the carbon footprint, what they're doing with RSG, something that we know very much about over here at eRenewable. Excited to talk about that. Also, he's got some great insight on ESG and why it's okay to have more than one scoring system. And finally, how do you bring the fossil fuel and the renewable energy sectors together. Once again, tremendous insight from a trusted and well-respected industry veteran. So without further ado, please welcome to the program, Mr. Chris Romer. It's great to connect with you all today. And one of your first questions is, how did this brand problem come out with oil and gas? And it's a really good question because you actually do have places like Illinois, 
and Colorado, as well as California, which officially have said oil and gas are going to come to an end. I, I'm a Democrat for fracking, so I'm skeptical on that. I'm also a very big believer that climate change is real and we have to solve it. So your question was, it arrogance that allowed the oil and gas, uh, gas industry to do this? I don't know that it's arrogance, but look, I was a state senator in Colorado. And I helped pass a bill called Clean Air, Clean Jobs, where we closed a coal plant in 2010, first in the country, with Excel Energy. That was a visionary thing to do. I thought the industry was smart enough to take the brand of natural gas, which is 50% of the carbon footprint of, of coal, and use that as the bridge fuel. The problem is the industry knew that it was leaking methane at much higher levels than was allowed. They knew it for flaring and combustors and tanks, and it wasn't honest with itself. So I don't think it was arrogance. I think it was just they were in denial, and I think they were subject to what I call the Houston groupthink. I think they thought the customers would never figure out that they were basically leaking methane much higher than people knew. The problem is people found out about it and the industry has not reacted quick enough to protect their brand. And now their brand, particularly natural gas, is much more wounded than it should be. So that's my quick answer. It's not arrogance. I think it was just group thing. Because it needed to be rebranded and your belief on climate change, so on and so forth, is that what helped you decide to start Project Canaric and then develop this RSG product that you now have? Sure, well, first, Project Canary is both a movement to basically create resilient low carbon systems but as both wires and pipes. And it's also a company, it's a B Corp, which means we have a double bottom line. So let me be clear about it. Colorado and my friend now, former mayor, governor, now Senator Hickenlooper, required Colorado to be the first place on the planet that required continuous monitoring like when you pulled it out of the ground. So when you pull oil and gas out of the ground, in Colorado, you now have to have radically independent IoT devices that basically let you know how much and if you're leaking methane on an oil and gas or a gas pad, okay? So that's where it all started. I was recruited because of my political skills, my understanding uh, of the energy market, maybe because I'm also a Democrat for fracking, but also because I believe in climate change. So I was a good person to figure out how to bring all these threads together into a coherent company and movement. In Colorado, it started here because our then governor made a decision this was doable because we happened to drill a lot of oil right next to a lot of suburban homes. So that's kind of how it all started. What I then discovered is it was a brand problem where natural gas was being vilified. I mean, the environmental community was very much for natural gas. In fact, at one point, Aubrey McLennan gave $20 million to the Sierra Club. So then the industry lost their way. They lost their way because the hot money and the private equity money, they started drilling and fracking way ahead of the infrastructure. And we started basically leaking methane at levels way above what was allowed. And that's because it's 85 times worse than carbon dioxide. And I think there was a notion in the industry that they could just keep that fact a secret. But unfortunately for the industry, EDF figured it out. And thank God for the planet, we're going to now keep it in the pipe. That's why I came up with the new saying, let's give emissions the bird, i.e. canary, and let's just keep it all in the pipe. Let's go build resilient, low carbon energy systems. I think that's a brilliant play. I think the uh, environment needs it. I think society needs it. And, uh, you know, as we've been working with our project partners on this RSG project, we've 
grown to understand and respect everything that you're doing. So for the listeners out there that aren't really familiar with RSG and the low methane and how your canary actually works, why don't you walk through that process and let them know what you're doing to help the climate change? Sure. Now, look, you know, uh, Excel Energy has now said they, in the future, they're going to clean up their supply chain for natural gas for both their power plants and their LDC for, you know, hot water heaters and furnaces in the winter. And the way they're going to do that is make sure that gas is certified. Responsibly sourced gas, which is certified, means that the gas has been double checked, that it has the appropriate environmental footprint, which has been disclosed to be 50% less than coal. What does that mean? That means that we put our canaries around the drilling pad, we put them at the compressor stations, we put them at the gathering stations, and we put them all the way down to the city gate where Excel pulls natural gas to make sure that we're gonna keep virtually all of the methane in the pipe. You can't in life improve what you don't measure. So we're just an ESG responsibly sourced gas data company that has these ledger quality devices these devices measure every second of every day and report to a cloud. So in the event there's a truck sitting on a pad that's idling, we'll, we'll notice it on our canaries in less than five or 10 minutes. And so what that means with that level of radical transparency, we're able to A, keep the methane, the natural gas in the pipe. B, we're allowed to put a certification called responsibly source gas, which allows a buyer to know the natural gas they're going to put into that burner, into that utility plant, is truly exactly what they intended to buy. And that's a really cool thing, because that means you can lower the carbon footprint of some of these pipes by about 15% by just doing the common sense thing of keeping all the natural gas in the pipe. That's a big deal. Like, that's not, that's not renewable energy. That's not wind. That's just lowering the carbon footprint of the pipe by 15% by just doing what we should do is keep all the stuff in. That's why we want to give emissions the bird. We're going to just keep it in the pipe. So these companies that have their ESG goals and sustainability goals that they have to achieve, as they're scoring in their ESG, the natural gas that they are buying, if they're just buying the traditional natural gas that comes with no certificate, has no RSG label to it, their corporate score is one thing, but if they use the products such as you're describing as RSG, that has the reduced methane, so on and so forth, then that'll, they will have a carbon reduction inside that ESG footprint, and their ESG scores are gonna be much better than they were prior to using RSG. Am I understanding they'll, that correctly? They'll be able to reduce it for Excel, scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions. And yes, there's a future world that people are gonna care. Trust me, I guarantee you Amazon, Google, FedEx, Walmart, all these big companies are paying a lot of attention to us. And it goes a lot beyond uh, natural gas. It also goes to aviation fuel. You'll watch, there will be uh, certified responsibly sourced aviation fuel in less than 90 days. And as soon as the airlines realize that which pads they're pulling that crude oil from dictate the carbon footprint of that aviation fuel, it's gonna be game, set, match for the industry. And I hate to be the messenger of, of bad news for the industry, but, but look, in the future world where we're going, we need a regenerative model. So please go read the op-ed that I did with Real Clear Energy. It talks about how we're gonna keep it in the pipe to develop a regenerative circular relationship with fossil fuels. We're gonna almost like a hospital room environment. We're gonna pull it out pristinely out of the ground, 
We're not going to leak it. We're not going to let the fracking fluids. We're going to treat the produced water well. We're then going to keep it all in the pipe. We're then going to send it to the utility. Guess what? We're then going to capture the CO2. And Project Canary is also going to help certify that we're putting that carbon sequestration back in the ground. That's called a circular economy. And that's really going to be gosh darn good for my grandkids. And that's why I'm so happy that I started this business. Because it's a great way to let the markets solve a problem. So many people at big government solve it. Doggone it. We're smart enough to solve this ourselves. If you just do radical transparency and develop a circular economy around fossil fuels, we can put a lot more renewable energy on the wires, but we're going to have these pipes. These pipes are going to do really clean oil, really clean natural gas. Then we're going to capture the CO2 and we're going to put the stuff back in the ground so my grandchildren can have the planet they deserve. You know, you're the second guest we've had that talked has talked about the circular economy. We have a, um, an executive advisor for our company named Ms. Susanna Cass. It's an energy fellow at Stanford. And a lot of her talk uh, all around the world when she goes and gives speeches about the circular economy. So it's uh, nice to hear you say that because Fred and I have heard that another time on Susanna's podcast. So well, that's terrific. If you looked at the correlation of GDP on the planet and energy, it's one-to-one. -one, and I'm telling you, it goes to about 1850. And then our standard of living skyrocketed with the development of use of dense carbon used in steam engines and other places. So we need to be very careful. The system of life of saving the planet doesn't mean we need to lower GDP or lower standard of living. We just need to bring the price of carbon into the equation. It's called a free rider problem. If I can cheat and make just a little bit more profit, guess what? Unfortunately, a lot of people will cheat. Now, when you force radical transparencies with canaries, then the cheaters are gonna be known. And I use the example all the time. At one point in time, De Beers used to sell diamonds that sometimes were basically coming out of mines where there was child slavery involved. As soon as the public heard about what were known as blood diamonds, it was game, set, match. So I try to tell people, it's not that De Beers stopped selling the blood diamonds, it's that men and women all over the world stopped buying it. And trust me, as soon as airlines and utilities, LNG providers, Europeans, Tokyo Gas, as soon as they know the difference between a good producer who's keeping it all in the pipe versus a sloppy producer who's trying to you know, marginalize that little bit, that little more penny profit, trust me, that marginal provider who's cheating the system and cheating my grandchildren, they're not going to be able to sell their oil and gas to anybody. Now, that's a harsh statement because right now they think that they'll just, no, 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 we'll just be able to sell it as discount gas or cheaper gas or non-certified gas. Let, let me be very clear to your listeners. In a future world, this is going to be like blood diamonds. The cheaters who don't keep it all in the pipe as best they can are not going to have a market for their oil and gas. Now, that's a shocker to a lot of people in Houston, but that's where that group think got a problem for them. If you just keep it in the pipe and be a good player, you're going to have incredible rates of return because this circular economy with oil and gas is coming. But you got to think differently about it. You're cleaning up the process, essentially, correct? Is, is kind of what I'm, yeah, I'm guessing. Keeping it all in the pipe because we have a cap on carbon. Our, our, our little spaceship called Earth. <laughs> can only have so much CO2 right. and methane in the planet. Methane is 85 times worse. That's why methane is the first. The cheaters on the planet, and trust me, some of them are, could be Qatari, some could be Russian, some could be in the US. We definitely know the methane in the Permian is much worse than reported. Look, the cheaters 
thought that there was no system of accountability. Mm -hmm. Just as Peter Drucker once said, you can't improve what you don't measure. We're now gonna measure it molecularly coming out of the ground. We're gonna measure it as it's used to produce our incredible standard of living. And we're gonna measure it when we put it back in the ground as carbon dioxide. How surprised are you for a guy that's been doing this for as long as you have that we're, that your company, and, and, and God bless what you guys are doing, that it took this long before somebody finally decided to put this process in place to where we could finally score this, and that it's been going on as, as you know, unadulterated for as long as it has? Uh, you know, it's a good question. It, you never know in, in life why did the tectonic plates all of a sudden shift? Why is there all of a sudden an earthquake? I don't know. I think a lot of things, and by the way, this started before the election of Biden. This started under Trump. And this mostly started with a guy named Larry Fink at BlackRock, who said, look, guys, there's a thing called ESG, and I'm going to divest all you sons of bitches, excuse me, son of a guns, who don't pay attention to the E in ESG. I stood up in a conference a week after he issued that letter in Houston. Everybody was in the room, all the OGCI, Aramco, everybody. I stood up and said, hey, I don't know you people because I'm new to this process, but let me warn you, the E in ESG is going to go data-driven. Half the people in the room threw me dagger eyes. The other half gave me their business cards. And trust me, after two years, I was dead right. So when you talk about ESG, and Mike and I were just at a risk summit a couple weeks ago uh, with a lot of oil and gas companies, and you know, you've got some folks saying ESG, they understand it, and you got a lot of folks saying we don't know exactly how to calculate it. But again, as you mentioned, the environmental aspect of it is bigger than it ever was before. Where are we at right now with the scoring of ESG? And much like what you're doing with Project Canary as far as the, the methane side, how do we get to a uniform or will we ever get to a uniform ESG scoring standard? Well, look, there, there's no uniform bond rating for bonds or corporate debt. Moody's has their criteria, S&P has theirs, Fitch has another, but all three of them are incredibly credible. So I used to do a lot of work on Wall Street and when I did airports, I liked the way Fitch did their ratings because they were super smart about the complexity of an airport. When I did a sovereign government like the state of New Mexico, I loved Moody's because they were actually better at sovereign governments. So let's let all this information be out there, be credible, and people need to stop whining about ESG. People just need to lean in. Trust me, if you see a CEO who's whining about ESG, that's probably a CEO that needs to move on and retire. As we weigh through this energy transition, right, and, and as I'm sure you've seen, Chris, you've got a kind of an adversarial relationship between renewables, between the, the fossil fuel side. That's what, silly. Hey, well, it's and, well, okay, so, okay, perfect. Uh, that, that dovetails beautifully then. So how does this thing, because your point earlier, when you, you know, you got millennials saying, oh, you know, uh, oil, you know, oil and gas will be gone in five years. Listen, Mike and I are here in Houston. We know that that's not going anywhere anytime soon. So how does this conversation take place where these two, do we, I mean, what's the kumbaya moment? And maybe is that where Project Canary and someone like you who has both private and public sector experience, is that someone where like you can come in and kind of, you know, pull both sides together and, 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 and shake some sense into some folks <laughs> i'm actually not a uh, i'm actually not a very big kumbaya guy i tend to fight people more than settle them down because the answer is most people need to get out of groupthink because group thinks people live in their own eco chambers and they're actually not very good about understanding they're just not very good at sometimes understanding when the when the tectonic plates shifted and they really did shift on this uh in a very big way um, and so the first thing, you know, I just, you just have to understand that. And I want to show this to you uh, and I share my screen, but I know the listeners can't see it, but hopefully you'll share this. 
you have to let me share here because I really want to show you this chart. If you never shared this, you they, look there. First, I'll answer the question. We need to decarbonize and measure both the pipes and the wires. Radical transparencies. But why in the world would you have one systems when you can have two great systems, both of which are lower carbon? So the pipes are going to turn around. First, we're going to put certified RSG into the pipes. Then we're going to put a little bit of renewable natural gas in the pipes. It's a lot more expensive, but it's really good stuff because it's net zero. Then we're going to put some hydrogen in the pipes. It's going to probably take some new pipes to hold a lot of hydrogen. Okay, so that's how we're going to decarbonize the pipes. Renewables are great, but all these people who say that they can do just renewable and batteries, I think are smoking some of that marijuana in Colorado that I legalized. Please share this with your, can you see this? Like literally, this is the chart of gross domestic product per capita throughout history. Look at how it started with the birth of Christ. Look at what happened all the way up to 1800. And look at that. Have you ever seen a J curve like that? Please share that. And you know what that's related to? That's the related 100%, 100% that's related to the development of dense energy. So uh, that's what we're doing here. And I just wanted to be really clear on that. Um, and I apologize, got a little background noise there. That's but, okay. Um, that, please share that on your website. Absolutely. So why, do, why in the world would we start to bend that curve that my grandchildren deserve to be on that curve? Look, let me be really clear. Why am I showing that chart? That chart relates to the gross metric product of bringing people out of poverty. There's still 2 billion people on the planet who don't have the standard of living, my grandchildren. They both deserve dense energy. Dense energy means that it's there when I want it, when I hit the switch, when I hit the hot water for my shower, because I've taken a cold shower in Colorado in February. It sucks. And so what we need to do is to decarbonize the pipes and the wires and start this. People are like cults, like renewable energies become like a cult, like renewable energy is necessarily better than nuclear, than other energy. And the answer is, look, no, we need lots of energy. We need to be clean. We need to be safe. And it's just silly that we're, we, we almost get to the point like, um, it's a religion to people like there's people who believe in the religion of fossil fuels, the religion of nuclear, the religion of renewable. The answer is all of the above have given this standard of living. We just need to do it really clean. We need to decarbonize all of those because the planet is only going to let us have so much carbon dioxide in the atmosphere before we ruin the planet for my grandchildren. There's lots of solutions, but people need to get out of their silos, out of their bunkers and start communicating that all of these solutions are part of the pick, part of the picture in the future. Um, and so it frustrates me a lot when people say, no, we have to go to 100% renewable to solve this problem. That's just not true. That's a religious statement, not based in science and fact. So when you hear that, and again, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, look at what's going on in Europe right now. And so, you know, if you've got examples out there and if you can bring, you know, folks that are, are rationally minded people, when do you think we'll start to see that, you know, to borrow your phrase, that tectonic shift where we will start to see more collaboration and more, uh, you know, work together when it comes to people from both oh, sides I of the aisle? Trust me, I think people underestimate what just happened in Glasgow. I think that tectonic shift has happened. And I think you've already seen a lot of people move. Now, my view of the world is, and I'm very disappointed in Harvard's decision to divest fossil fuels. We should not divest fossil fuels. We should differentiate fossil fuels. We should divest fossil fuels from bad operators who don't commit to keep it in the pipe. 
And that's pretty formal. And don't commit to radical transparency. Because if you're not committed to radical transparency, what that basically means is I'm committed to cheating. And we, we can't have any more cheaters and solve this problem. You gotta play by the rules. You gotta keep it in the pipes, okay? So, and you know, it's all, it's like in sports and life. Like I know we all need to win. We all need to make a profit, but we can't allow an ethic of cheaters who can make slightly more money by cheating. And this relates to a lot of sovereign oil and gas companies around the world. Good news is we're gonna have satellites that we're gonna keep track of them with. And so my point in this is, I do think Glasgow and the commitment to getting rid of methane and the commitment to nuclear. I mean, nuclear made a real comeback in Glasgow. So I'm starting to see the beginning of the shift that we got a problem and we got to solve it with authenticity. And we also look, we just got a pandemic and figured out how to do a vaccine in less than a year. Like everybody says it's going to take 10 years to do a vaccine. Hell, we did it in eight months. We're a can-do culture. As soon as we all agree that we've got to have more energy and less carbon dioxide, we're going to come up with great solutions. We just need leadership from the business community, not from the politician. Been there, done that, been one of them too. Trust me, the business leader and the consumers are going to do this. I'll tell you, if you're a CEO and you're not on the right side of history, given your scope one, scope two emissions, you're going to hurt your brand and your company's going to go out of business in less than a couple of years. So let me ask you this then real quick, because I know you're up against it. Do you think oil and gas, the major oil and gas companies have done enough to help lead that change as far as, uh, you know, not just the energy transition, but as far as becoming, you know, more, more efficient and leading kind of the renewable slash, you know, reduction in, in carbon? Well, I think the major oil and gas companies have really allowed natural gas to become a diminished brand, and that's too bad because we need more LNG. We need great LNG. We have the cleanest LNG on the planet. We need to certify it and take it to those 2 billion people in poverty to give them dense energy and mix in with their new renewable wind and solar energies. So I'm very disappointed in the major oil and gas companies' messaging around certified natural gas because keeping it in the pipe is a logical message. And I think they need to kind of wake up. And, and honestly, I said, look, they need to stop whining about ESG. If they're whining about ESG and don't want to keep it in the pipe, I think those CEOs just flat out need to retire. Project Canary, it's been kind of your baby here for the last few years, what have you. And like I said, obviously, you've done a fantastic job with it so far. Um, what's kind of the next, I mean, ESG, RSG, what are some other things you look to tackle in 2022 and beyond? Yeah, just watch out for carbon sequestration. I'm just telling you, we're going circular. The good thing about dense energy is it's there when you need it. The good thing about carbon sequestration is it's one of the solutions. When you have dense manufacturing, cement, natural gas, some of the work, we're going to be able to put it back in the ground. Um, the other issue is I think people are starting to open up. I'm currently working with 300 chapters for Republicans for climate change. And I'm helping sponsor a uh, program where they're writing op-eds about market-driven, not regulatory, market-driven solutions to climate change. I think the next generations of young Republicans are gonna crush this, because like me, they like market-based solutions. I think they're also gonna push aside some of the climate deniers ahead of them that are frankly just playing to the base. And so I'm very optimistic the way the young millennials are gonna teach the elders in the Republican Party, while well, climate change is all about business, great business, ethical business, just like that J-curve I showed you today. And I can't wait to use the young Republicans. I asked them a lot about controversial questions like, let's be clear, if, if what, what would Jesus do about climate change? 
And I guarantee you, he would pay attention to the 2 billion people in poverty. And he'd also make sure that our, my grandchildren had a healthy place to live. And I don't think that's controversial. I think what we have to do is stop the ability to misinformation. I think what's gonna be unacceptable in the future is denying climate change, denying misinformation, and not being radically transparent. And I think that generation of political leadership and CEOs, they just need to get out on the golf course and retire. Because the youngins are coming, trust me, the amount of phone calls I get from young people, young petroleum engineers, young people in middle management in these companies, they, they literally talk to us after calls. They say, I know our leadership doesn't like what you're saying. Keep saying it because we here in the trenches believe in you. And we want to be proud of our role with oil and gas when we go to the bars on Friday night. And you're the only guy speaking the truth. So keep speaking the truth. My CEO needs to hear more of it. Those are the calls I get from the young people in oil and gas. But you're still not getting those calls from the CEOs, unfortunately. I get a lot of calls from CEOs, and some of them are pretty frustrated. There was one major one, one of the biggest in the world. I said, hey, guys, it's halftime. Score's 36 to 0, and you're getting your ass kicked. Do you want to run the wishbone for the second half, or would you like to start trying the, the forward pass? <laughs> I think I made my point. <laughs> well, I was going to say, listen, if, if Drew Locke and, and Teddy Bridgewater are running the, the, the Republican uh, climate change issue right now, you guys are in trouble. So uh, I, I'm, I'm guessing you're a Bronco fan. So yeah, but go, to... you go watch the list. Let's talk about that for a minute. You want to say that, you know, like, look, 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 at the end of the day, my job is to fill up the seats. I have the best referees on the planet who are calling, literally calling balls and strikes on what is truly responsible versus non-responsible. So yes, we are a movement called Project Canary, but we're also a company that, what I guarantee you, the future is bright for people who know we're gonna need dense, low carbon energy with a radically transparent environmental footprint. Those people are gonna make a ton of money. And having spent 24 years on Wall Street, I can't wait to invest in some of those smart people who have gotten out of the group think that they can just deny climate change and clip the coupons. That's kind of like being a, to be honest, one of the cigarette tax, any of the cigarette executives who denied that cigarettes cause cancer and just tried to use misinformation to extend their, their quarterly earnings. That's just not, that playbook's gone. We're not doing that playbook. And if oil and gas thinks it can basically use the cigarette playbook to just disinformation for the next five years, they're sorely mistaken because those companies will be put out of business by the, the, the CEOs that I'm seeing that are starting to announce net zero. We did the very first ever net zero scope one, scope two, national gas trade three weeks ago. They got sold in Seattle to a bus company. So I'm looking for those CEOs. And, and look, I get it. It's very, for a group of CEOs, all they thought their job was, was to maximize quarterly earnings. It's confusing when they have to do something else. And that's because there is this thing in this externality called carbon. There was an externality in the system where the cheaters could make slightly more profit, more profit than the people who played by the book. We need to stop and make it radically transparent so there's no more cheating, including Russia, including Aramco, including Qatar, including China. And that's what's gonna happen with these things called carbon border adjustment fees. That's what Europe is gonna do. Europe is gonna have a border adjustment fee the great news is our very, very clean LNG is going to be preferred in Europe, okay? And when that happens, that's a problem for Putin, and I'm okay with that. 
So look, let me just be clear. I know I'm a little controversial, but everywhere I've seen this over the last two years, people are in denial how fast this is moving. And I really mean this, that if the CEO's just complaining about ESG because it's not standardized, it's too hard, they really need to ask themselves, are they the right CEO for the future? And if they can't answer the question that they need to embrace this, even though it's really messy right now, then there's probably time to retire. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Chris Romer. Once again, you can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, eRenew.net, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen to us over at Apple iTunes, and we know that a lot of you do, please give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promise you learn more about renewable energy from the podcast than you knew about it before you stop by. And stay tuned. We've got an action-packed month of December for you. Listen, we're finishing 2021 with a bang. Uh, as you heard with Mr. Romer, fantastic. And of course, we've had just a, a slew of great guests so far this year but uh, we've got plenty more in the hopper again as we finish off the year strong uh, we've got guests from Constellation Tricon, Refinitiv and a little two part series from Deloitte that you will not want to miss and of course we've got our, our year end special as well with our CEO and founder Mr. Mike Niemer so for everybody here at eRenewable Mike and Al and all of the listeners and of course all the guests that help make this show possible. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.